0: Can you smell what The Rock is actually cooking? Is Jennifer Garner's Instagram cooking series hitting TV? Plus the Easter version of Elf on the Shelf and some scandalous Great British Bake Off rumors. All of that, plus a chat with Chef Joanne Chang right here on Need to Know. Welcome back to Need to Know, where each week we're serving up all of the hottest takes on the latest baking news, gossip, entertainment, and online trends fresh from the oven. I'm Mia Brabham, host, entertainment expert, and constant cinnamon bun craver. And today, our special guest is Joanne Chang. She's the award-winning founder and pastry chef of Flower Bakery in Boston. Be sure to subscribe, rate five stars, and review wherever you listen to podcasts, or like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Now, grab some breakfast, bake as you listen, or pour yourself a cup of coffee or tea because here's this week's trends hot from the oven. He's making his list and checking it twice, but it's not Santa y'all, it's the Easter Bunny. Parents everywhere are either cringing or cheering because Peeps has come out with the highly creative Peep on a Perch, which is the Easter version of Elf on a Shelf. The kit comes with Peeps plush that you can put anywhere in your house leading up to Easter so the Peep can spy on good behavior. It also comes with a fun storybook explaining how Easter Peeps job is to assist the Easter Bunny every year by decorating eggs, filling Easter baskets with fun and noting all of the acts of kindness a child does in the days leading up to easter if they behave well the easter people tell the easter bunny to put the best gifts and treats in their baskets on april 4th aka big brothers watching parents huge props to you for parenting during this pandemic and let us know what you think of this new peep on a perch We're here with the big questions. Is Jennifer Garner's highly relatable pretend cooking show going to be a real thing? If you don't remember on our very first episode of need to know, we talked about Jen's pretend cooking show birthday montage for the Barefoot Contessa, Ina Garten. Now she has all of us whispering about the possibility of her new IGTV series hitting the actual airwaves. In a recent interview with The Hollywood Reporter, it said that there have been a slew of industry requests for her to make a real cooking show. She confesses that she had to join the platform, Instagram, for the food brand she co-founded that's called Once Upon a Farm, and that she did so kicking and screaming because she really values her privacy. But now she's given us so much joy with this fun, lighthearted, self-deprecating cooking show and I don't want it to end. I'd personally love to see her interview some stars while baking on the TV screen. So let's start a petition. Jen didn't comment on whether or not she'd actually ever go forward with the show. As big fans over here though at BBB, we're hoping that she'll whisk us away. You guys, his wrestling career tagline is, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? And it's truly come full circle. Dwayne The Rock Johnson showed us how to make his favorite coconut banana pancakes on Instagram this past week. And to quote a fantastic movie that I love, Despicable Me, They're so fluffy, I'm gonna die. The action movie and Moana star joined the celebrity chef, Chef Putty, on Instagram to share their full recipe that they made together. They slathered the pancakes with peanut butter and maple syrup to finish. Like I said, it's so fluffy when they cut into it. I was like, I need this right now. And then The Rock took to Instagram again a few days later to share a new variation of the pancakes, PB&J coconut banana pancakes y'all know I love PB&Js. Chef Putty shared that they've been working on perfecting this recipe for two whole months. So if you're feeling discouraged, know that Rome wasn't built in a day and neither is a good pancake recipe. We just talked about pancake covered bananas last week. So now you've got tons of new things to make. Chef Putty and The Rock were so much fun to watch together. And I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe they can have a TV cooking show too, right next to Jen. Imagine those time slots back to back. I'd watch. Also, does one really make banana pancakes if you don't play banana pancakes by Jack Johnson? I think The Rock did it right. If you're a fan of the Great British Bake Off, then you're going to love the scandalous contestant theory circling the internet. Some Great British Bake Off contestants have a theory that the show purposely shoots on days with bad weather. Season 9 contestant Anthony A. said the series seems to choose the hottest days for ice cream challenges and the coldest days for bread challenges Hmm. He even said that some bakers requested air conditioning units while tempering chocolate on a sweltering hot day, and producers told them no. Contestant Stacey Hart agreed that there's a lot of things that go wrong, like making sponge sugar in the boiling heat because sugar doesn't like heat. Judge Paul Hollywood has absolutely denied it, saying that's not true, but... Do we think this theory is harsh? Do we think it's true? As someone who's worked in entertainment and TV myself, I'm 100% sure that producers have absolutely like turned up the dial on drama and suspense and they find certain storylines to really pick into. But I don't know if if I'd go as far as picking out awful weather, because then that means that everybody would feel like every recipe would go wrong. Nothing would work. The whole thing would be a disaster. Everyone's ice cream would be melting. So I personally think that's not true, but I mean, it is funny that it all kind of lines up that way. Friends fans, get excited. There's a new Friends-inspired serendipity ice cream line hitting the shelves and the online store that, of course, was inspired by the show Friends. The flavor is Central Park Coffee Almond Fudge, which is a nod to the coffee shop the characters frequent in the show. It's described as being coffee-flavored ice cream with thick fudge swirls and dark chocolate-covered almonds. If this gets people excited, I love that. But I gotta be a little honest here what really makes this friend's ice cream? To me, it's just kind of coffee ice cream with the friend's logo on it and some almonds. I don't know. I'm just thinking like, why not Rachel's trifle? That could be a flavor. Or Phoebe's grandma's cookies. That's funny. And it makes me think of the episode with, you know, it ended up being like a cookie recipe that's general that her grandmother found. I don't know. It's a fun idea, but I'm craving some true food and baking nods like butterbeer ice cream from Harry Potter or chocolate cake chunk ice cream inspired by Matilda, or maybe just Tiana's beignets from Princess and the Frog. But hey, my philosophy, whatever makes you happy. March is Women's History Month, so of course we want to recognize how ladies everywhere have impacted the food industry. We've got some fun stats for you. So, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics pre-pandemic, 61% of adult women have worked in the industry at some point during their lives, and for 39%, their first job was in a restaurant. Cool, just like me. Nearly half of food service managers are women, and finally, one-third of all U.S. restaurant businesses are majority-owned by women. Gemma and I can't wait to talk more about this, as well as some of our favorite women in baking. So, for a true culinary take, we need a real expert. Please welcome your favorite professional baker, host, cookbook author, and Bigger boulder Baking creator, Gemma Stafford. Hi, Gemma. Welcome back. Hi, Mia. How are you? I am so good. I see you have scones behind you and I made scones <laughs> too this past week. So we're just twins over here and chocolate olive oil cake too. That was really tasty.
1: Chocolate olive oil time.
0: cake? Yeah. Yeah, I'm on a chocolate cake and I plan to make your
1: Guinness chocolate cake this
0: week. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited.
1: Uh, Side note, I have another olive oil cake on the website and it is incredible. It's olive oil and citrus. Insane. Ooh, I did see that. Citrus is good in anything. It's it's chef's
0: kiss. So let's dive in. Um, I want to get your hot takes on a lot that's going on this week. First, there is now a friend's ice cream that came out based on the show. It's called like Central Perk Coffee Ice Cream. Um, But we know that your favorite show is The Office, of course. So what would a The Office ice
1: cream taste like, you think? Oh my gosh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, that's a tough one because there's reference to Michael, Michael, um, oh my gosh, you put me on the spot now, but Michael <laughs> loves, um, there's some flavor. there's some episodes where Michael, like, um, Pam goes out and gets Michael's favorite flavors. Then you would think like, maybe is it a beets flavored ice cream because of Dwight? Um, Oh, i'm totally now i can I honestly i can recite i can do a one-man show of pretty much any episode and my mind is going blank now but um i would say i think it's uh would well, maybe fudgy the whale because in one episode andy asks for a fudgy the whale cake i'm not 100 percent sure to be honest with you what a fudgy the whale cake is i feel like it's something that baskin robbins came up with or, am i right in saying that fudgy the I whale know, but I feel like you should
0: make that though. Like that should be the next recipe after all your spring recipes. I don't even Maybe know what it is. <laughs> for fun, you can make it like, be like, I decided that fudgy whale cake is
1: X. <laughs> it's an um, ice cream cake.
0: <laughs> oh, I love
1: ice cream cake. I think it is. Okay, that's yeah, a great have to idea. i look into it.
0: I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, yeah, that show is so funny. And um, I'm sure there's lots of different flavors that you could make. And it'd be absolutely hilarious. Uh, so in <laughs> baking news, um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Chef Putty made this this really cool recipe for coconut banana ca- pancakes. Um, and they give this oh, wow. tip. They, it's really cool. They make this whole cooking video. Um, and then they leave a tip in the caption. They say, if you can spend a buck or two more to get great quality quality ingredients because quality always makes a difference, including the maple syrup and peanut butter. So I'm wondering, do you agree? Are there just certain things you're like, do not get like store brand name for this, get quality stuff.
1: So I, I always say that I was very fortunate to grow up in a country where we had really good produce to hand. Mm. Um, so like that's what I grew up on. So when we were ba- when I was baking, we had good butter, good eggs, good dairy and um, things like that. I absolutely would say be a smart consumer. I I don't go mm. to the organic section and buy all organic fruit and veg and pr- produce. I, I just don't do that. It's very expensive. It would yeah. be quite hard to do that for everything. And I just don't always see the benefit of it. But I would just say be a smart consumer. Not everybody has the ability to be able to splurge on good quality ingredients. I absolutely get that. If there's a bottle of vanilla extract and it's $3 and there's another one that's $21, which is, is yeah. what's happening out there, um, then, you know, it may, what, what are you going to do? You're going to get the $3 bottle, you know, you still get the same flavor, but it's it's way inferior quality. So I would say just be a smart consumer and also... On that note, um, you know, because I go through so much vanilla extract and it would cost me a small fortune to keep on, um, to have like good quality for every episode I make my own. So I buy a lot of vanilla pods on, uh, Etsy or Amazon and oh, I soak oh. them in vanilla and that's my, that's my extract. And it's that's, that saves me a lot of money. Also, I know the quality of alcohol that went into it because usually When you get extract, uh, number one, it's often you have to check to make sure it's not essence and extract because Mm. essence is the flavoring of vanilla, where extract um, actually had vanilla pods and vanilla beans in it. So, essence is very different to an extract. Essence is going to cost you $3, the extract is going to cost you $21, but um, they're both alcohol based usually. So, um, it also so you have, if you're making your own, you've got, you can choose the grade or quality of your vodka or alcohol and also your vanilla pods. Wow. Is that on the site? Do you have it's how I to mean, make your own vanilla? Absolutely. I feel like I just went off about vanilla pods, vanilla <laughs> extract, but um, no, it is. It's a, it's, it's a bowl baking basics. I show you how to make a lot of extracts. And um, honestly, it's, it's just, it's a good, it's a money saver and it's, yeah. and you just keep, here's the thing, right? You buy uh, vanilla pods. You could get two years out of these vanilla pods. You just keep on topping up your bottle with vodka. Let it sit in your cupboard um, a few weeks as it sits there over months. The flavor just gets better and better. Like, honestly, I'm a huge fan of it. And I do. I use it in all my
0: baking. That's awesome, because I do remember the first time when I started baking on my own and it wasn't like, you know, in your family's house. I went to the store and I saw... But this was like as a teenager, I saw like three, a $3, like vanilla, like essence and then extract. And I was like, whoa, $25. Like I'm going to get this $3 one, like little college student. Like I'm not getting that. So you're right. Quality matters. But you kind of have to work with what you have for sure. You can make your own like
1: Gemma. Um, So check out the site. Be a smart consumer. Let me tell you a little Mm. secret though. Do you want to know my, my little sneaky trick? Uh, Always. (laughs) So this is, so I don't, for those of you who don't know, I am like ride or die TJ Maxx, uh, biggest fan. I love (laughs) me a TJ Maxx. So (laughs) TJ Maxx have a food section and, you know, is everything they are, um, I, like everything is in, in date, but what, uh, so, you know, you can buy olive oil, you can buy jams. I get a lovely um, Irish jam, like straight from Ireland. I get that there at TJ Maxx. I don't know where else to buy that, but TJ Maxx, it's really good quality. Wow. Here's my secret. buy. You can get vanilla extract, the, the um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the name, the brand now. It's Mason and something for $11 mm. for a bottle. Um, and you can get another bottle. They do another brand cheaper Still really good quality. I think it's Hawaiian or something. Honestly, when it comes to some of those ingredients go to TJ Maxx check if they have vanilla extract it's way mm. cheaper it's the same really good quality and it's just honestly it's like such a like find I love when I see it there also wow. the other day I got a big bag of dates at vanilla uh, sorry vanilla. I got a big bag of dates <laughs> at TJ Maxx for like a fiver and dates are really expensive and I got a big mm. and we're doing recipe testing right now I got a big old bag of dates things like that check out the food aisle in TJ Maxx in my opinion I'd be hard pushed to tell you what you can't buy at TJ Maxx. I'm That's such so a true. I've gotten really great olive oil from TJ
0: Maxx yeah. and also the candles, like...
2: $50, oh God,
0: $7. I don't know. You choose. But it's funny if people out there are in a budget, my mom and Nana always taught me there's three things you don't buy store brand, uh, detergent, toilet paper, and cheese. Cause they always use Sargento. <laughs> and of course, as I got older, carry yeah. gold. I'm like, I will, I will spurge on a butter. Like oh, for sure. gotta get the quality stuff for the butter. Um, but oh gosh, we have to move on, but I really want to ask you this. Is there any food ingredient or like, uh, I don't know, like anything in a recipe that is commonly used in baking that you're embarrassed and you're just like, I don't, like this? Or do you like everything? Because this pancake recipe sounded good to me, but Gemma, I have to be honest with you, coconut flakes, like I I don't like the
1: texture. In the pancakes. No, I I have to agree with you there, Mia. I am, when it comes to my desserts, what I gravitate towards is like mousse and pavlova and like Mm. really soft things. um, Me too. Like pot de creme and things like that. And if um, we were going to do a panna cotta here that had that in that the original recipe had coconut flakes in it and myself and Ami and uh, my culinary assistant were talking and we were like, you can't do, we can't do that. We can't have this lovely, smooth, silky yeah. panacaca and then put coconut in it. Like those two things that don't compute for me. Yeah. So, um, Mia, I totally went on a tangent. What was your question again? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's okay. You did honestly kind of answer it, but I was saying, is there an ingredient that goes into a lot of baking recipes that you're like, I just don't, as much as I try, don't like this. So corn syrup is something that I generally stay away from. Mm. I don't like when I see it in recipes. It is necessary for making uh, for making certain caramels and and candies and things like that. Like it does absolutely serve a purpose. I have a homemade version, uh, part of my Bigger Bolder Baking, uh, part of my bowl Baking Basics. I have a homemade version for corn syrup and I also have a homemade version for golden syrup. And um, preferably I try my best not to. um. Uh, create recipes that have corn syrup in them also Mm. it's not a global ingredient it's quite it is Mm. primarily primarily i don't know what's wrong with me today mia primarily (laughs) in uh, america and maybe north america
0: wow sorry canada yeah Oh my goodness. I'm always learning something from you. Um, and so now pivoting completely it's peep season
1: or it's coming up at least.
0: (sighs) So there's this new thing, or maybe it's honestly might not be new, but it's new to me. It's called peep on a perch and it's like elf on the shelf. Um, but you put a peep everywhere and then it watches. Um, George might be too young, but would you do this for George? Like, is this something you're interested in? Do you
1: like peeps? That's gonna be a hard no for me. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> I'll tell you why. I didn't grow up with peeps. I didn't grow up with peeps. Either. Um, it's not my thing. Never I never saw them until I came to the United States. I love marshmallows, don't get me wrong. And even to this day, as a woman in my 30s, um, like I, I you know, there's some indulgences, like things that remind me of when I was a kid, and marshmallows are one of them. Um, I'm very I would I would prefer to spend my calories on like um, one of my homemade chocolate chip cookies rather than like Mm. throwing down like a few peeps. So no, not for me, not my jam. I see them a lot now on Instagram because they're kind of doing the rounds because it's peep season. Yeah. And I'm seeing people create recipes with them. And I it makes me a little bit cringe. (laughs) So I'm just I'm going to be totally honest. That's that's my thoughts on peeps. So I'm sorry. I'm so- I, it's just, I didn't grow up with them. Um, but I, I, I get us, but no, thank you. <laughs> no, I love the honesty
0: and seem like I didn't really enough. I didn't have peeps growing up either. Like I maybe didn't have it until I went to college and I tried it for the first time or like someone had them, but I don't remember having them as a kid and that much marshmallow. I like marshmallow, but it just seems like a lot, especially with like the sugary coating, but people like no. it. So is it's it safe sugar- to say you will... Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's the sugar, it's, a, it's the color, it's it's everything. So anyway, I said my piece. No to peeps.
0: (laughs) No (laughs) to peeps. (laughs) So it's it's safe
1: to say you literally won't be making, trying to
0: make your own on the website. So go check out the chocolate chip cookies instead. Um, Okay. (laughs) So finally, it's Women's History Month. Happy Women's History Month, Gemma. Um, So I wanted to talk about this a little bit. Um, We talked about it in the first episode where you were also our guest. But um, was your first job, I don't think I actually asked, was your very first job at a restaurant? Because um, I think the percentage, it was a lot. It was like a lot of women. Their first job is in the restaurant industry.
1: OK, yeah, I, I would, I, I would say that's pretty accurate for most women. Like when you're a teenager, um, like I got a job in a cafe. My very, very first job was mm. in a cafe in Wexford, Ireland when I was 16 and um, making coffees, cleaning tables, making sandwiches, things like that. I've always worked in hospitality what's the stats that it is a few times in your career that you, you, you change your job. I've mm. always been in food. Like some people go from accountant to a, a swimmer or whatever. Like I've always been in the food industry. So, uh, but yeah, I would, I would say for sure. I believe that. Like, how about you, Mia? Like, did you work in, in hospitality? Yes. My first job I think was at 15
0: um, and my parents actually had a quiznos they wanted to like leave their jobs and become entrepreneurs so they opened up a quiznos franchise and so I was making subs <laughs> as my first job but then I went off to college um, and there I was a server um, at a restaurant down the beach I guess when I came home from for summers because I'm from Virginia Beach so I'd worked down at the restaurant and it was so fun you meet lots of different people um, and then even before I moved here I went back when I started grad school I went back um, And I worked in a restaurant there too, but as a host, I wasn't a server that time. So I've worked in a lot of different, um, I guess, positions in the food industry. And it's really cool. It teaches you a lot of lessons, teaches you a lot about people Um, and everybody tip, especially during the pandemic. Be nice to people. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Everybody
1: tip. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, I have to say, I'm just going to say this last thing, um, working in kitchens, my whole professional career, the, the camaraderie that you have, uh, it must be something about like everybody earning minimum wage, but you you make really great friends. You work very yeah. long hours. You work very hard. You work for very little money. You make mm-hmm. really good friends. You learn great life lessons. I would strongly recommend it. Even if you're serving coffees, go to a Starbucks. It, mm-hmm. is, it's, it is a great life lesson that will always stand to you. I'm quite uh, when I work in the kitchen now, like there's, I don't, um, spend hours over a dish. I'm very militant when it comes to my baking. I I just go boom, 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 boom. Because in kitchens you'd go in at two o'clock, your service was at six o'clock. You had to have everything done within four hours. So I, I have like, I work, uh, very like on a tight schedule and that. Uh, is a skill that I like because we produce so much content here. So you do learn life lessons. I would say everybody, your first job, 16 years of age, get yourself to a Starbucks or into a cafe or restaurant. And it's really, it's a lot of fun, uh, but it's it's good life, a good life uh, lesson. Yeah. And speaking of, you mentioned, you know, um,
0: pivoting careers multiple times in your life and so I want to know who your favorite woman in baking is or someone you like look up to or you really really like what they do um, for me it's Foodie New York and she switched from being a lawyer to clearly now she's like a baker and I think it's awesome And even Joanne today she was a consultant and now she's in baking so is there one All right, woman Gemma,
2: I think it's time to go we have to begin our St. Patrick's Day festivities <laughs> we have to
1: go oh, okay. oh we'll the morning you. bye Mia, oh, my bye, Mia. Okay. we have to- To go, let's pick up on that when next time we talk. Okay, have a good chat with Joanne. I'm dying to uh, to hear more about her. She's an amazing woman. Oh my gosh, she's the absolute best. I already know it, and I'm really excited (laughs) to talk to her. So, anyways, have a good time, y'all. See
0: you later. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Bye. 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 Yes. And after this break, y'all, we're gonna talk to Joanne Chang. So stay tuned.
1: listeners, I want to tell you about another podcast that I love. It's called Add Passion and Stir. Add Passion and Stir is an incredible podcast from my friends at Share Our Strength. They're the nonprofit that run the No Kid Hungry campaign and they know a lot about food, food systems, and what it takes to change our world for the better. I was even featured in an episode last December. Every week on Ad Passion and Stir, host Billy Shore talks to people from the culinary, non political, and media world about the central role that food plays in so many things we care about, like hunger, nutrition, education, health, entertainment, and much more. They talk about food, not just why we love it, but how central it is to the overall quality of our lives. I think you'll learn something new and you'll be inspired at the same time. I can tell you putting world-class chefs together with leaders from the nonprofit sector creates such amazing eye-opening conversations. Download an episode of Add Passion and Stir Today and check it out, you will be hooked. All right, everybody,
0: pull up your seats to At the Counter, a segment where we have a conversation with people who are doing interesting and amazing things in baking. Today, we are sitting down with the one and only Joanne Chang, who's one of the very top names in baking. She's a cookbook author, a James Beard award-winning chef. She's the founder of and pastry chef at Flower Bakery and Cafe, which is one of the country's premier bakery destinations. I cannot wait to visit Boston and get a slice of banana bread, brown butter cinnamon rolls. I literally have a list, of course, of famous Sticky Bunes, please <laughs> welcome Joanne Chang. Hi, Joanne. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh! No, thank you for being here. I am so so excited to chat with you. Um, so, hopping right in, we love to start it out with a question that's not necessarily about baking, because we want okay. to know about you as a person too. So, is it true that you've run every Boston Marathon between 1991 and 2006? This is a fact.
2: It Well, it's sort of a fact. So there was a year um, that I was not able to run Boston. So I ran New York instead. Um, but I have oh. run a marathon every year from 90, 91 to 2006. Exactly. And, oh. and I should say that 2006, I ended up walking, I think, almost the entire marathon. I started off running, but I couldn't make it to the end
0: that is more impressive than I can do. Believe me, I can barely make it around my block. Um, So what made you want to run your first one in 1991? And what gave you kind of like the motivation to keep doing them? That's 15 of them. That's, that's crazy.
2: Yeah. You know, the first one I did when I was a senior in college and a bunch of us who had been casually running just said, you know, it's our senior year. Uh, We're in Boston. We should do the Boston marathon. And so we kind of trained together. Um, We kind of started off together. We all finished in different times, but Um, Honestly, during the marathon, I thought I am never doing this again. (laughs) This is like one of the stupidest things I've ever done. And then when I crossed that finish line, I could not wait to do it again. It's this weird, strange like thing where it's awful while you're doing it. And then afterwards it's the most exhilarating feeling. And I immediately started planning for the next one. And then I said, I'm going to just going to do this every year until I die because I was 21 at the time. And I didn't realize that as you get older, your knees start hurting and your hips start hurting. And so that's why 2006 was my last one.
0: Oh, that is amazing. I mean, there's nothing like the gumption of like a senior in college. Like you're so exactly. right. You're on top of the
2: world and you're like,
0: <laughs> I will and can do anything, I can do anything. literally anything. And it's carried over into your baking. Um, so I wanted to ask, do you think your running or that kind of gumption you had there has influenced your baking or vice versa? Like, do you think they go Uh, hand in hand in some
2: way? You know, I do. I think there's something, I mean, I am not a natural runner um, and I run really, really slowly. And there is something about putting your, you know, your eyes on a prize and just moving forward. And I think with baking, there's kind of similar, a similar amount of patience. It's not like in cooking where you can taste along the way and add a little bit more this and chop up another that and throw it in. Like with baking, there's an element of putting it all together and, and waiting as you're waiting for something to proof or waiting for something to bake until you get to the finish line. So I do think, you know, having the perseverance and the patience um, helps you be a better baker and a better runner. So yeah, I never thought about that.
0: Oh, I mean, it's it's true. You really do. You said you set your eye on the prize. And I really do feel like that's kind of a big part of who you are. Um, so you graduated from Harvard. You got a degree in applied, I think, mathematics, right? In exactly. economics. And then exactly. you worked as a management consultant. Cool. And then you made the switch completely. For you, yes. uh, everyone listening out there one day, Joanne was literally like, eh, I think I'm going to switch yeah. up. I'm going to go into <laughs> baking. Like literally here I go. Um, so what was that transition? Like you, like you said, you're not a natural runner and you were a natural baking. Like you've been baking your whole life. I read a little, a little bit about you, but what was that transition like to just completely be like, I'm taking the leap. Like what made you want to do that?
2: It was so hard. I wish I could say, oh, it was such a smooth transition, and I fell in love with it immediately, but it was really hard because I had been working as an office person. I was a management consultant. I dressed up every day. I traveled. I sat in front of a computer every day, um, and then I went from that, and I worked you know, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 or 9 to 6, and then I went from that to working nights, working on my feet. I remember the first you know, couple of days coming home and just being wiped out and just falling asleep until you know, like the next day. Um, and uh, I mean, I loved working with my hands but it was so very different from what I thought it was gonna be. So it was really, really hard. Um, I didn't start out in pastry. I started out on the savory end of the kitchen. But it was when I was in the savory end of the kitchen that I realized, okay, pastry is really where I want to be. So I would say the first year was a really hard transition year. And then once I kind of made my peace with this is a different lifestyle and I love it, um, then I was able to kind of move along in my career um, and embrace like the, the big changes that being in the restaurant business really, really make to your life. Oh, yes.
0: It's a completely different industry. And in your cookbook, Pastry Love, you said you looked at, this really stuck out to me personally. You said you looked at some of your consulting bosses at the time and you still have so much love for them and you keep up with them. And I related to this because I was working in entertainment and you said you looked at these people that you love and admire, right? But you were like, I don't quite want to become that. Um, And I've had that same realization. And it sounds so weird when you say it, you're kind of like, that sounds, but it's true. I feel like it happens. And so at what point, or at that point in time, Did you have a vision for kind of who you wanted to become or was there someone you looked up up to in baking or were you literally just like, nope, I'm going to just do this. I'm going to take a leap.
2: No, I just, I took the leap, Um, but I I do think what you said was like a a pivotal moment for me. And I think it is, it should be for everybody. You should look at the people above you. If you're at the beginning of your career Mm. um, and ask yourself, is that, are they doing what I want to eventually be doing? And if the answer is no, then maybe rethink your career or rethink, you know, trying something else. um, Because I knew for sure that what they were doing was not where I wanted to be. Um, And, but when I got into baking, I don't know that I made this, same similar um, uh, jump in my head in that I don't know that I looked at people and said, oh, I want to be them. I think I was just in the very beginning. I did eventually, but in the very beginning, I just immersed myself in learning. It was like being in a professional kitchen, professionally baking after I'd been dabbling in it, you know, at home, home baking for so long. It was so eye-opening that every day I was so excited to get to work. I was so excited to see the production list and to see what I would make. And even if it was something that I had been making over and over, I was just excited to see how I could do it better. Um, And I think that kind of kept me going for, you know, three, four, five years, and then... I started to do the same thing, looking at people ahead of me and thinking, hmm, do I wanna be a pastry chef? Do I wanna be a restaurant owner? Do I wanna be a bakery owner? And I really think that's what helped guide me eventually to open my own bakery.
0: Oh my gosh. She's an original y'all. Joanne is an original. She was like, I'm going to be me, but as a baker. Uh, so <laughs> you correct me if my facts are wrong, but you were born in Houston. You grew up, yes. I think in Oklahoma and Texas, and then you were raised correct. in a traditionally Asian household and you didn't have yes. a lot of sweets growing up. You didn't have a lot of desserts, Nothing. No. <laughs> but you did have really great food. I read some of the things that you were eating and oh, I was yeah. like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I too love rice. Um, so how have those environments influenced your baking today? Um, Um, Or would you say like you've completely like just gone a different direction? Because I know when you got out of the house, you were like, I'm having sweets all the time.
2: Um, So do you think, you know, any of that influenced your baking? I do. I think because I hadn't had sweets as a child, um, one, I don't have a, I have a a big sweet tooth, but I don't like things super sweet, so I do think that has influenced me. But I also think like growing up, once I did learn that there is this whole world of dessert out there, in my mind, I started to imagine what things would taste like, um, and then when I was finally able to bake them myself or to try them before I started baking sometimes things would match up and sometimes they wouldn't. And so like, I remember reading about pumpkin pie and thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to be so amazing. And then I think my first actual slice of pumpkin pie was something from like the um, cafeteria in the college, in my college dorm. And it wasn't that great. It was kind of gluey, you know, really heavily spiced. And I just thought, oh, that's not what I thought pumpkin pie was going to taste like. (laughs) Um, So when I started baking on my own, I started to create what I thought things would taste like once I knew how to do that. Um, and I would say now that's really still kind of how I, I uh, create recipes. I'll see something. If it's not something that I've tried that I wanna replicate, if it's just like a picture or somebody describing something, I try to just imagine, okay, what will it taste like, feel like, what's the texture, mm. what's the smell? And then I try to recreate that. So that's always been a part of how I develop recipes. Wow. That is a really
0: fun activity to do is to look at uh, like a cookbook or even like sometimes I'll like go on Pinterest, which is like basic of me, but I'll go on and I'll see a picture of something and I'm like, I'm going to try and make that with no recipe just by looking at it. Yeah, (laughs) It probably doesn't work out for me quite like it works out for you (laughs) because... You are you and I am me. Just not that great at it. Um, So you worked, you know, you worked at a cake shop and you were working from like 4 a.m. to midnight, like six days a week, like you said. Um, And then after you're working in a kitchen, you realize I love this. You said sugar, not salt, ran in your veins. And I think that needs to be patented. Like that is such a (laughs) cool line. Um, And now you have 10 flour bakery locations across Massachusetts and you're employing hundreds of individuals. um, And I'm sure every single day has to look different. But I am very curious, what does a day look like for Joanne Chang? Like, are you switching up locations? Are you calling in? I'm sure during the pandemic, it looks a lot different too.
2: Yeah, the, the pandemic definitely changed things up a little bit. But I think overall, the general idea is the same. I So we have nine bakeries and then one um, commissary kitchen, a, a production kitchen. And so my day is roughly trying to visit maybe two, maybe three bakeries a day, um, and then try to get to the production kitchen. And when I'm at the bakeries, my goal is to uh, do a number of things. One is to touch base with the managers. Um, So I'll start off my morning at a bakery and then I'll, Touch base with the managers. And then I'll actually like walk through and like look at every single pastry. I used to bake every single pastry when it was just one location and I was the pastry chef. And now, you know, I've got a whole team of people that does that for for me and for the bakery. So instead, what I do is I look at every pastry, I pick things up, you know, I try some things, I get a little tray of stuff to nibble on to to taste. Um, And then oftentimes, what I'll do is I'll actually park myself in the bakery. Um, and just sit there. And I mean, this is again, this was pre COVID, but I'll just sit there and I'll listen. I'll watch and I'll listen. I'll listen to the guests as they're coming in. I'll listen to our teams and how they're talking to the guests. Um, I'll get some computer work done because I usually have my computer open and I'm just like typing away and listening. I'm listening to the guests sitting next to me and what are they talking about? And so really a lot of it is just trying to make sure that all of the big things are working at the bakery. And then I'll say goodbye and move on to another bakery. And so I try to do that to about two or three bakeries um, so I can get a sense of how the teams are feeling and what our guests are feeling. So that because I have in my head the ideal experience for both a team member and a, a guest. And the only way to know if that's happening is to actually physically be there watching it, asking questions and feeling it out.
0: Yeah, being in person is uh, impactful and it's, it's so different than, as we know, being virtual, um, to really feel that energy. Like it, it's yes. a different energy to be there in person. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot going on, but is, it, is there a way that you like to work best in these situations? Like I know you like to work next to people. Um, but do you like going in the kitchen and then, you know,
2: transition or are you really stationed in one place? So, I mean, my, at this point, I don't actually bake in the kitchen anymore because I have bakers who take, you know, they take full responsibility of their kitchens. Um, And so when I come, I'm just visiting. Um, But my favorite thing to do is to find a spot in the kitchen where I'm out of the way um, and just kind of be in the corner, open up my computer and start answering emails and um, looking at new menu items and just kind of planning for, you know, maybe the next new menu. But while I'm there, I'm like a fly on the wall. And if I do this often enough, then the team doesn't really notice me or they don't, they certainly don't view it as unusual. And so that's when I get like the best information because I'm sitting there and I'm getting some like, you know, paperwork done and I'm like answering emails, but then I'm listening and then we'll get into a, a casual conversation about a cake that's, you know, selling really well and what they did to do, uh, the finish to make it look more appealing. And then I'll talk to them about how they developed that system and that style. And then I, I might take a couple of kernels that, that I can then go to another bakery and say, Oh, did you know, over at fire Washington street, they're doing this. And so I'm, I, I mean, sort of like, you know, uh, when, when, bees are pollinating. I feel like I'm doing some of that. I'm just sitting there and trying to like soak up the whole energy and then move yeah. around to another bakery and, yeah. and kind of drop like little helpful hints and soak up more energy and then move around.
0: And you talk about, you know, the finishes and watching the chef, since you aren't, you know, cooking in the same way or baking in the same way, um, you watch them do these little finishes. And what's interesting to me too is, you know, it started as one bakery and now it's like nine plus, you know, um, where you go and it's, it's, it, everyone is kind of it's a lot of people making consistent things right yeah and one thing yes. in pastry love that I like too is that you talk about what pastry love means like it's this coin that you turn or, that, oh, or this yeah. turn that you coined and yeah. um what I I know what it is but do you want to explain it in your your own words because I think it's so cool oh yes
2: so Pastry love or P love, as we call it, is um, really loving the counter, the pastry counter. And it means going to the pastry counter and looking at it from the guest perspective and trying to make sure every single pastry is as beautifully presented as possible. Um, we eat with our eyes and we know that when the guest walks in, they're you know hopefully greeted with a, a huge, abundant pastry counter that's overflowing with beautifully baked pastries that makes them want to order and try everything. And so, Pastry love or pea love is the act of just making, making the pastry counter look beautiful, going to the the pastry case and making sure all the cakes are, you know, beautiful with the signage and everything like looking just so, so that you're tempted as a guest when you walk in and you're all of a sudden, you know, you're hit with all of these beautiful pastries. So it's a, it's a very, very active term that we use at the bakery a lot. Pea love. We're always talking about pea loving, pea loving the counter.
0: I love that. Oh, P love. I got to get some P love around here. Maybe I'll just like put out some pastries and feel the good energy every day when I wake up. Yes. It'd be fun to just wake up to that on my counter. Uh- I mean, it's so true.
2: It's so hard not to be in a good mood when you see it. Like I walk in sometimes and I'm just like, wow, this is stunning. And it's just like makes you instantly happy. And then you want to try everything.
0: Oh, all the colors. I bet. Um, I can't wait to see it. I haven't been, so I need to go take a trip and visit and see it with my own eyes. Um, but you know, speaking of, I can't really come up because there's a pandemic happening. You know. No. Know. Um, so I I want to know what is your favorite, most creative way that you think you've overcome the challenges of this pandemic as a business owner?
2: Um. Well, gosh, we closed for about a month when we just realized that with the pandemic going on, we didn't know how to operate. Like I I recently looked through my pictures and I found a picture the day before we closed and I'm like standing next to everybody. No one has a mask on. Like we heard about wear a mask, but nobody was wearing a mask. And so we literally had to close down just so that we could like rethink how we operate. Um, I think the biggest, uh, one of the biggest things that we've done to try to, get through this pandemic is, um, these baking kits that we created, uh, our, our thinking was that for, you know, 19 and a half years, we have been baking for you. You come into the bakery and we've spent, you know, all morning long and and baking this beautiful pastry counter that we've been loving to make it look, you know, stunning. And then, um, with the pandemic, people weren't going outside anymore at all. And, you know, the whole point of, for me, a flower is to bring a lot of joy to people and to bring the pleasure that like eating an amazing pastry can bring to you. Um, And so if we are not able to do that anymore, because people weren't coming into the bakeries, we started to think, well, how can we, how can we still do what we do? And we came up with this idea of um, creating some baking kits where you can buy a kit, we can ship it to you. Or if you want to come to the bakery, you can pick up the kit. Um, And then I started filming videos like really short, like two to five minute videos of me making whatever the kit was. Um, The first one was our um, uh, low fat vegan chocolate cake. And I just did a very quick video of this is how you make it and this is what it looks like and it's so good. And people just flocked to these kits. They started buying these kits and baking the stuff that they used to just come in and get at the bakery. Now they were making at home. I think people had more time at home to bake. Um, and for us it was such a great way for us to connect with our guests who we really really missed and we were able to give people that sense of joy and pleasure that we do in the bakeries but at home. Um, and it, initially it was going to be let's do a couple kits and then we ended up I think we've got like 24 25 different kits. We don't offer all of them now but we went through the series where you know every week I would demonstrate a video and then every Sunday I would get on Instagram live and just talk for half an hour about the pastry that we had spent the whole week, you know, uh, creating the kit and baking together along with, with the the viewers. And so it just became this amazing new way to connect with people that we had never <sighs> even tried to attempt before that I don't think we would have thought of had it not been for the pandemic.
0: Right. Everybody is just getting so creative. And I don't think people not give enough credit to, uh, you know, we did talk about virtual versus in-person energy, but virtual connection is powerful. You can speak to so many people and connect with so exactly. many people and see in real time what they think. Um, and I think it's amazing that you're at week 25. That's 25 weeks of this that you've done <laughs> on your Instagram. Uh, do you have a favorite that you've done so far? Favorite recipe or one that's really fun for you to make?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, well, the low fat chocolate cake is a favorite in that it's one of the easier ones. And so I think more people have done that. So for me, it's it's a favorite because I just want people to bake. I just want them to have that, that, that amazing sense of accomplishment when yeah. you pull something out of the oven that you've made. And then you feed it to your friends and to your your, uh, you know, your family and they're like, oh my God, you made this? And it's just such a great feeling. And so yeah. I love that one, but it is relatively simple. I think um, we have a Pop-Tart kit that is really popular. I like that one because you get to make a homemade Pop-Tart, which was one of the original items on our menu. It is fantastic. And we give you some homemade sprinkles to sprinkle on top. And so it's just visually, it's really pretty. It's It's a fun one. You kind of get your hands dirty and you're rolling out dough and then you make these beautiful little pop tarts. Um, And then we have our sticky buns. Our famous sticky buns are really popular kit. We're really well known for our sticky buns and people love making there. It's a harder recipe because it's yeast. And so it takes a couple of days, Mm. but if you stick with it, and if you're patient enough, you are rewarded with eight fluffy, like amazing sticky buns. It's really awesome. The reward is real. I really want to try
0: the homemade Oreo one. I'm oh, personally a huge fan of Oreos, yes, so I yes. was like, I might
2: have to get this
0: kit. Uh, but we speak a lot about food memories here too at Bigger Bolder Baking, and I'm wondering just because you probably see some of the comments we we're talking about connection, is there um, like a story or any impactful comment you've really gotten where someone's been like, I spent you know this day like baking with like my son or my daughter? Maybe what's like a, a story that really resonated with you that you heard about these kits?
2: Um, well, there is a uh, a brother and sister, Daphne and Mar- I think it's Mar- Marlon, uh, Marlon, and they started baking relatively early on. And I think they are probably eight and 12 or maybe 10 and 13, but they started baking early with the kids. And now I think they bake almost every week with the kids. And it has been awesome to see their progress. You know, the very first time it's they're just stirring stuff together and now they, yeah. they roll things out. They, they make bread, they do everything. And I think it's been really awesome because I know how hard it is for kids they're not able to go out and socialize with their friends as much anymore Um, and it's been fun to watch on Instagram their mom and their nanny post all the time all of their baking Um, and it's just it's fun to see them kind of grow up like it's been a whole year you know and when you're young like a year is actually like you're actually changing so that's been really really cool.
0: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely amazing. I always think about Gemma too. And like George is literally a year now, like oh, that's yeah. crazy. She just had him and he's a year old. I like know. he did his a smash cake and I'm like, Oh my goodness. Yes. Like you're a little <laughs> human now. This is why like, that's it's what crazy. a year does. Um, yep. but speaking of two, I feel like one thing I really love about you is that leadership is very important to you because people are just like, you know, I want to bake and like, that's cool. And this is just part of the job. But I feel like that's a passion of yours is to be a good leader. Um, so how have has this pandemic changed or not changed you as a boss? And I do want to say for everybody out there, just so you know, Joanne started a fund and she gave all of her team like their own version of stimulus checks so that they could pay rent, exactly. buy groceries, like amazing. Think That's just that's so great of you, I think.
2: Well, when the pandemic hit, we realized that we had a lot of team members who were not going to be able to make rent, um, and some people couldn't apply for unemployment. Some people, um, unemployment just wasn't enough, um, and we had, you know, all this merchandise at the bakery that even though we weren't open, we could still sell, you know, online. And so we said we got to, we have to do something for our team. And so um, Christopher, my husband and business partner, and I, we just said let's just sell everything we can that is currently like in our production kitchen now that that's, anything is not nailed down, let's sell it. And then let's take all that money and give it to our teams. And so we were able to create a fund um, and pay everybody. I think we ended up paying two months of paychecks for everybody, um, which was enough to kind of get them going because then we reopened and then people could start coming back. So for me, in terms of leadership, it is a really important part of who I am these days because I don't bake as much anymore. Instead, I spend a lot of time just um, you know, running the business and, and kind of managing and, and being a leader to the teams. Um, and I think, I don't know that anything's changed other than I've continued to realize how important um, communication is. I mean, that's always been a hallmark. Like I've always been known to over-communicate. But I feel like what feels like over-communication from my point of view, once it trickles down, I think is is that's the key is that you need to over communicate in order to get Mm. your teams to hear what you're trying to say. Mm. Um, And so with the pandemic, literally the day we shut down every single day, Christopher and I would write an email to them and just tell them what was going on. And stuff didn't change from day to day, especially in the beginning. It was like, okay, it's day 12 <laughs> that we've been shut down and we're still, you know, but we knew that people just needed to hear about what was going on. And, you know, we would put in information about how to collect unemployment. We, we did like a food drive. Um, we did um, tell us, you know, what's your favorite thing that you miss? What's the first thing you're gonna eat when we reopen? We just tried to keep that connection going. Um, and I think the pandemic has taught me that the amount of communication constant, even though it's can be hard work, um, because you're thinking all the time, you don't always have time to communicate because you need time to just think. But it's important to take all of the stuff that's going on and share it with the people who are working for you, because their lives are tied to whatever decisions you're making or whatever you're thinking about. And I think it's It's easy to, especially in a crisis, to go into survival mode and to just try to Mm. figure out like, well, what am I gonna do? What are we gonna do? Make some decisions. Okay, we gotta make these decisions. It's easy to not remember to tell everybody what you're doing and how you're dealing with stuff. Mm. Sometimes I think it's because of out of fear too. If you don't have good news, you don't wanna say anything. Whereas I have learned that even if it's bad news, people wanna hear it. They would much rather deal with certainty than uncertainty, even if the certainty Mm, is bad. Yeah.
0: I'm like, Joe, had president. Oh my goodness. Um, okay, so shifting gears a little bit, some fun things. Um, you, I read that you look at the pastry case, like when you're in grocery stores and you see what yes. they're offering and sometimes you see a trend, you're like, ooh, I'm gonna use it at flour. So th- I thought that was really fun. Where else do you find inspiration? Like to make, you know, like I think about pastry love, it has 125 recipes, which is probably like normal for you. But I'm like, how the heck did you think of up 125 of these. Like that's, that's wild to me. So um, yeah. Where do you find inspiration to constantly be innovating as far as baking?
2: I mean, I definitely get a ton of inspiration from our team. You know, the pastry cooks and the pastry chefs will, you know, tell me whenever I see them like, Oh my gosh, I had this. I tried this. Have you ever, have you ever, you know, my mom sent me this. Um, So that's a huge source of inspiration. And we also get a ton of inspiration, honestly, on Instagram. Um, Cause you know, at night I'll spend time just like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And it's so cool because you can learn so much on Instagram and you can travel the world. You can go to, I, I feel like I see so many pastries in Australia. Yeah. There's so many great bakeries in Australia and I can actually go there, you know, just by looking on their Instagram page. And I kind of like look through and like, Ooh, that looks fun. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I have a, an Instagram like back and forth with my executive pastry chef, and we're constantly sending pictures to each other. And then we meet every week and we kind of open up our Instagram and say, Oh, let's try this. And what do you think about that? So, um, I, I feel like being able to see pictures of what things look like is, is very inspiring.
0: Yeah. Um, and so I am a writer. People ask me all the time, do you get writer's block? So I want to, when you develop recipes, do you ever get (laughs) baker's block? Um, And how do you get out of that? Is it scrolling on Instagram or is there other ways that you kind of are like, oh, what ingredient do
2: I add? What can I do here? No, we we do get baker's block. We had um, so a couple of years ago we were gifted. Um, this this cookie from Italy and it was incredible. And so we said, we want to replicate this cookie. And we spent like a year trying, like we looked up recipes, we looked up online, oh we looked on Instagram and looked at pictures to try to like just visually pick it apart and we couldn't figure it out. And um, we had baker's block and we never ended up figuring it out. We, we went a bunch of different directions um, and we came up with some things that tasted good, but not exactly what we had in mind. Um, And then we ended up like putting it on pause. And so I do think there are times that, you know, you can work so hard to try to get somewhere and you need to like take a break and put it on pause and come revisit it. So I feel like there's like this little graveyard of projects that we don't work on anymore, but they're out there. And someday I'm going to come back to them and get, get back on that horse.
0: Yes. I call it plot purgatory. Um, (laughs) You're just like, it's going to hang
2: here for a while. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: Uh, So I also, uh, a little birdie told me you love Sriracha
2: this yes. is crazy,
0: but have you ever tried baking with sriracha? Have you put it in anything or is that weird? Oh my
2: goodness. <laughs> uh, I haven't tried it, but you know, I do know like having a little bit of spicy can be really, really good. We do a, a fiery hot chocolate that's super popular at flour. Um, and we've done uh, a chocolate cupcake that has a little bit of um, cayenne pepper and we do a spicy um, a spiced pecan that's, uh, addictive. That's really good, but I've never tried Sriracha. That's an interesting idea. I'm going to try that.
0: Please. When you do let me know, I would love to try it. I I think that sounds really exciting. I was like, I wonder if these two can go together. I feel like it can. Um, and so your, your sticky buns, you call them sticky, sticky buns. And I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this, but I want to personally know why are they called sticky, sticky buns? Like double sticky. (laughs)
2: So we added the second sticky because they are so sticky. We had to name them twice. I mean, they bake uh, for 35 to 45 minutes in what we call goo. And it is a brown sugar, honey, cream, butter mixture. And they basically marinate in there as they're baking. And then when we pull the sticky buns out of the oven, we let them sit in that goo for half hour, 45 minutes, so they can continue to soak up all of that that gooeyness. And then when we turn them over, we spoon more of the goo on top. So they're really, really sticky. They're really messy. And so we had to call them sticky, sticky buns.
0: Oh my gosh, Joanne, you're going to make me get in my car right now. Like I'm just going to have to like triple mask and come up and get one of these because that sounds amazing. Goo. Who knew goo could sound so good? Like, I Oh, I want it right now. Um, so to, I, I, we have to touch on this. Your amazing husband, Christopher Myers, you co-own yes. a restaurant called Myers and Chang. Um, so yes. how do you balance both of these? This is amazing to me.
2: So, um, you know, Christopher and I opened Myers and Chang, uh, because we, we wanted to work more closely together. Like when, when we got together, um, he was the one who said we had one flower bakery at the time. And he was the one who said, you know, this is something that you could actually, we could multiply, we could do more than one. And so we ended up opening the second and the third, but then we wanted to like create something together. And so we started, um, Myers and Chang, uh, and, It is uh, it is at this point we've learned how to balance both because the bakery business is early morning and then into the daytime. And then the restaurant business tends to be, you know, we do a little lunch business and then it's obviously mostly night with dinner. Um, But both of us, you know, we have really great teams. We have amazing team members and managers who run and lead the bakery and the restaurant. Um, And we're both really good about communicating with each other about where, you know, different team members are at and what, what bakery needs a little bit more attention. And, you know, maybe the restaurant's doing okay at this point. And so we kind of, we're really good about communicating with each other on how to spend our time um, because it is a balancing act because they're there. At any point in the day, somebody is open and needs something, you know, and so we do have to be in constant touch about making sure that we're, um, that we're not spreading ourselves too thin, but we're giving the right amount of attention to all the bakeries and the restaurant. Oh, where do you think you get your level of empathy
0: because I feel like you're such like even you just brought it back to leadership. And I'm like, where does this come from? Because it's not natural in a lot of people. And I feel like it makes you um, that much better at it. So where do you think you're inspired by that? You or know, I, where did you learn it from? I,
2: I don't know. I think that I've always wanted people to be happy. Um, and I think so then I've taught myself over the years to put myself in their shoes. Um, I remember when I was in third grade, um, I had a third grade teacher who I really, I really loved. And I remember thinking, I want to be a third grade teacher when I grow up because I want to make everybody feel like Mrs. George makes me feel. Um, And then I got into the fourth grade and I had a great fourth grade teacher. And so I changed my goal and now I want to be a fourth grade teacher. Then I went into the fifth grade and didn't have such a good teacher. So then I was like, I definitely need to be a fifth grade teacher. So nobody ever, you know, goes through this, you know. And then, and then when I became an adult, I just have always tried to put myself in my team members shoes to try to understand, you know, their perspective. And I, even though it was a long time ago that I was, you know, a pastry cook and not leading anybody, I still remember, you know, coming to work and being excited, but also nervous. And when I didn't get enough, uh, you know, enough pats on the back, how that can make me feel down and just all of that stuff I'm always thinking about. So I'm always trying to make sure that everybody's having, you know, as, as good of a experience as they possibly can.
0: Oh oh my gosh. I'm like, I need a second. That was beautiful. <laughs> um, who, speaking of happy, um, you listened to Alicia Keys. I heard that yes. makes you very happy while baking. What is your favorite Alicia Keys song? And then we are going to move into our speed round. I'm excited
2: to hear okay. this one. <laughs> um, gosh, now I don't I don't even know the, the, the title and I'm not going to try to <laughs> sing it, but the one Same. where, um, if, if I don't have, it's, it's a love song. If I don't song. have you. I mean, yes <gasps> oh my so I, god i can't sing it
0: yes but I, I do love that it's okay me either could you imagine what does this turn to a singing <laughs> podcast i'm like oh guys we'll stick uh, we'll do the not. baking we'll do the baking um but that's amazing i love that song too i love all of her whole her old music um so yes. thank you this is it's so cool to see you as a leader and how you've grown your path you. is just so it's incredible it's inspiring um but really quick before thank we you. head out we're gonna do a speed <laughs> yes. round with you so okay. i have a few questions just answer whatever comes to your head first. You could just say it out loud. Okay. You don't have to think too hard. Um, and we'll just go through them. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's do this. In three, two, your favorite baking utensil.
2: Offset spatula. Ooh, Favorite childhood treat. Uh, childhood treat, bluebell ice cream. Oh my gosh, yes. Favorite late night snack. Ice cream. <laughs> Same. Favorite <laughs> baking show. Uh, I don't watch a lot of baking shows, but I recently um, started watching old episodes of the Great British Bake Off. Oh my gosh, so good! So so sweet. good. It is so it's such a relaxing watch. I'm so like everything is
0: fine. It. Everything is yes. fine when you're watching that Everyone's show. Nice to each
2: other. I love it.
0: <laughs> and your favorite person to bake for? My husband, Christopher. Your least favorite Absolutely. baking question?
2: <laughs> Say again. My least favorite baking question? Yeah. Uh, My least favorite baking question is when people will say, I made the whatever recipe from your book, um, but I took out the this and I added more that and I didn't have this, so I did that. Um, and it didn't come out well. So what did I do wrong? <laughs> and I never know how to answer that. I'm like, well, you didn't make my recipe. So I don't love that that question. <laughs> when they ask me what they, they did wrong, I have to figure out a nice way to say, you didn't follow the recipe. Yeah, nice way to say, you tell me. I don't know. What yeah. did you exactly?
0: <laughs> And finally, the number one thing that you've learned on your baking journey.
2: The number one thing I have learned on my baking journey is to enjoy the journey. Um, And I think it's a life lesson too, that you've really, you know, enjoy making whatever it is you're making, mixing, frosting, kneading, all of that. Um, It's not just about the final, uh, the final outcome. I mean, I think that's an important part of it, but really take pleasure in the whole journey of baking because It is in those little moments where you are stirring something or needing something that you can really feel a lot of joy. It's not just about getting to the finish line and the finished product, but it's about the whole process.
0: It truly is the journey. I love that. Thank you for being here today. You have such a beautiful soul and heart. And I feel it that virtual energy. I'm feeling it. So thank you again, Joanne, for being here. Where can we find you? And is there anything that we can
2: all support you in um, in the coming months? So we are um, online, flowerbakery.com, myersandchang.com. We have a really active online shipping business for both. Um, So if you don't live in Boston, then please visit us, um, visit our website, go to our shop pages and help support us that way. And if you are in Boston, we would love to see you.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And you all can find me on Instagram at yours, truly Mia. Um, you can find me on Twitter at hot mess Mia. Cause it's a hot mess. Um, and thank you all so much for coming to listen to the show. Don't forget we're new podcast. So be sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, wherever you listen, leave a comment, let us know what you want to see next week um, and give it a like too. So thank you for being here again, Joanne. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next thank Sunday. You I so need much. to know. Thank you, Joanne. Bye. Thank
2: you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.